Well, welcome in, friends. Great to have you join me once again today. This is Unshakable. I'm Pastor Jeff, and in this episode today, we are continuing in our interim series called Defending the Land, where we are looking at certain aspects of this ongoing war that's taking place in Israel, and in the process, trying to sort out fact from fiction. Now, today I want to talk more about uh, this issue of anti-Israel protests that we are seeing take place all over America, even in our nation's capital, but also in other places of the world. In our last episode, I talked about the, the absolute absurdity of the charge that's made against Israel that they're somehow committing genocide in Gaza. But that's not the only foolishness happening on the activist level today because they are always full of bumper sticker slogans and chants. And here's another one that they love to push in their pursuit of this propaganda. They will say that Israel is an occupier of the land, an occupier. Or they'll use the term, well, they're a colonizer of the land. They're colonizing the land from the Palestinian people. So is that actually true? Who does the land of Israel belong to? That's an important question. Is one side of the conflict today more indigenous than the other? Today, we're going to try to get to the bottom of that and more. First of all, let me share with you just an important truth that will I, I think will help you process through all of the protesting and the shouting uh, that you see on the news, all of the hyperbolic accusations that are being thrown into Israel and the Jewish people today. Always consider the source of what you see and hear, the source. Ask yourself, who exactly are these anti-Israel activists, or if you prefer, these pro-Palestinian activists? Generally, what you're going to find is there's two types of protesters out there. First, there are the radical Islamists who are acting out of tribal and religious hatred. You just have to know they are never going to accept a Jewish state in the Middle East, no matter what the conditions are. And that's because they feel compelled by their religion, by Islam, to either expel or murder every Jew in the land in order to take back what they view as what is rightfully theirs. And that's what they mean, by the way, when they chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I know it's catchy, but it actually has a meaning. It means scraping every Jew from every inch of the land. Got to know that. And the irony is so thick, isn't it, that these folks who accuse Israel of genocide at the very same time will openly chant that their goal is an actual genocide of the Jewish people. So these are folks you cannot negotiate with. They're not going to compromise in any way. They will never accept a two-state solution to live side by side with Israel. So these folks are the primary obstacle to ever establishing peace in the region. So that's the first group. The second group are the ones you see more often. These are the radical leftists, both in this country and across Europe, who are simply jumping on this conflict as part of their larger agenda, which is to destabilize Western societies and to undermine their Judeo-Christian foundations. These fools you see protesting in the streets and online, by the way, are the very same people who have screamed and shouted on behalf of every other leftist cause that we've seen spring up in the last 20 years. It doesn't matter if it's Black Lives Matter or it's defund the police or it's you know systemic racism and white supremacy or it's trans rights and drag queen story hour. The list goes on and on. It's always the same people. 
And it's all backed and funded by social justice groups who want to see the current order in the West torn down and replaced by some type of Marxist way of ordering society. You just, you got to know, you got to see that source and know that's what's really going on. And here's here's the way they want to frame the Israel-Palestinian conflict. It, listen, it's the same playbook no matter what the cause is. They will lay over whatever conflict is happening. They will lay a template over it with these opposing ideas. They always frame it as oppressor versus oppressed, colonizer versus colonized, whiteness versus color. So that is their goal, to paint Israel as the colonizer, as the oppressor, and somehow representative of white supremacy. It's all ridiculous. It's historically ignorant, but it's a playbook that has worked for them in the past, so they're going to keep using it. For these folks, it's always about the revolution. They will jump on any cause that might further the goal of revolution. And shockingly, this is what surprises me, actually shouldn't, but it does. They will excuse away brutal violence. They will make excuses for murder, for rape, whatever it takes for the sake of their ultimate cause. And so people who claim to care about women's rights will turn around and say that the gang raping of Israeli women by Hamas on October the 7th was acceptable resistance. People who scream about how LGBT people are oppressed uh, and under threat all the time will, without any sense of their own hypocrisy, shout their support of Hamas, even though gay and trans people are routinely hanged or thrown off of buildings in Muslim lands. None of it makes any sense, of course, but it doesn't have to in the world of leftist intersectionality. You just scream for whatever side is going to further your revolutionary goals. So you just got to know that. Okay, so let's talk about whether Israel is actually an occupier or a colonizer of the land in question. Here's some, some of the key questions that need to be asked and answered. Which side of this conflict is actually indigenous to the land? And when you're deciding who has a rightful claim to a piece of land, how far back in history should you go? And by the way, what are the consequences of war when that takes place? Does that matter? Here's the thing. Leftists love to talk about indigenous rights in certain situations. When it comes to Native Americans or the Aboriginal people in Australia, those are beloved causes. But if you ask them about Palestine, they will often change the rules of the game. See, they will always want to go back to 1948, which was the year that Israel became a UN-sanctioned, globally recognized nation-state. That's the moment they want to focus on, but they don't dare go too far back in time, and definitely not back to ancient times, because that kind of information leads to a a bad outcome for their side. Here's a fun fact. There has never been a Palestinian kingdom in the land we call Israel today. Never. Try this exercise. Ask an anti-Israeli activist or someone you know to name a single Palestinian king from history. There are none because the name Palestinian is actually not an ethnic or national category. So-called Palestinians today are in truth a collection of mixed people groups from all around the Middle East, primarily Arabs, but also Syrians and Egyptians and Turks and Kurds and more. So the name Palestinian is in reality an overarching regional term that can be applied to any person who has settled in this land over the past 2,000 years, 
including Jews. <laughs> yes, that's true. If you take the term Palestinian for what it truly is, a regional title, not an ethnic title, then Jews have been Palestinians for thousands of years. Which raises the question, why is this land called Palestine in the first place? Well, it should dawn on anybody paying attention that the term itself is not an Arabic word, which you would expect if it was rooted in Arabic history. But the word Palestine has a Latin root. That's interesting, isn't it? It's because it was a term coined by the Romans almost 2,000 years ago after the Jews had revolted against them multiple times, first in the year 66 and then later in the year 132. And after the Romans put those revolts down, brutally put them down, they decided to reshape the region as a distinctly Roman province under the title of Palestine. Even Jerusalem was rebuilt and renamed by the Romans. They called it Aelia Capitolina. And the reason they did all this renaming of the area was their goal was to wipe the identity of the Jewish people from the land in order to discourage them from ever revolting again. Now, why did they choose that word Palestine? Well, it appears that they wanted to humiliate the Jews by naming the region after Israel's most notorious historical enemy, the Philistines. And you can hear the linguistic connection there, right? Philistine-Palestine. And once again, out of ignorance, you'll sometimes hear anti-Israel activists say, well, see, the Palestinians have ancient roots going all the way back to the Philistines. Guys, that is nonsense. Do not let that stand. The Philistines were not even a Semitic people. Their ethnic roots come from the area around the Aegean Sea. Essentially, the Philistines were ancient Greeks. So there's absolutely zero connection between Arabs today and the Philistines of the Bible. Forget the linguistic side of it. There is zero ethnic connection there. So in light of all that information, let's examine the indigenous claim. While there has never been a Palestinian kingdom in the land, there has very obviously been many Jewish kingdoms in the land for a very, very long time. Now, biblically, we could go all the way back to the time of Joshua around 1400 B.C., but if we want to set the Bible aside for a second and just use non-biblical sources and archaeological evidence, we can, at a minimum, go back to the kingdoms of David and Solomon, both of which are well documented in the archaeological record. So that means going back to 1000 BC, back to 1000 BC, there have been Israelite kingdoms in this land. That fact is undisputed by anyone who knows history and has a sense of intellectual honesty. Now, Arabs, not Palestinians, but Arabs, they also have a historical claim on the land, but in compared to the Jews, how old is that claim? Well, Jerusalem was conquered by an Arab Muslim army in the 7th century AD, not BC, AD, just a few years after the death of Muhammad, right around the year AD 637. So Judea fell under Arab rule for a long time. Apart from about 100 years of the Crusades, it remained in the hands of Arab dynasties up until the year 1517, when the Ottoman Turks came and they conquered the land. So Arabs did rule the land. There's, a, there's an old claim there, but not nearly as, claim, as long a claim as Israel. And this is such a great question to raise with any protester. How did the Arabs come to possess the land in 637 AD? Well, by conquest, by military conquest. So the follow-up question is, okay, well, does that make them occupiers? 
Are Arabs then the colonizers? When is colonizing okay and when is it not okay? We just need a consistent standard here. But do the math. Jewish kingdom in 1000 BC, Arab kingdom in AD 637. That means the Jews have an indigenous claim on the land that is more than 1,600 years older than the Arabs. Again, for leftists, they believe in indigenous claims, just not when it comes to the Jews. By the way, if you really want to frustrate a Muslim or leftist protester over the history of the region, all you have to do is point them to the two greatest Muslim holy sites in Jerusalem, the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque, and then ask them this question, what are they built on? And the answer is they're built on the platform of the Jewish temple that was originally built in that spot by Solomon in the 10th century BC. So even uh, the Arab Muslim holiest sites in Jerusalem are built on top of Israelite ruins. That observable fact alone settles the indigenous debate. And by the way, if you want to push that discussion further, ask them how many times the word Palestine is mentioned in the Quran. The answer is zero because it's not a thing. But Israel is mentioned multiple times in the Quran. But look, I don't even like engaging in the indigenous argument so much because at the end of the day, that is not the most important factor. Here's the most important factor. Who currently is in possession of the land and are they able to defend it? Because like it or not, wars do have consequences. Wars do often determine ownership and rights. And all people everywhere should recognize that fact because no land on this planet has gone unconquered. There are very few people alive today who are 100% ethnically pure and live in their indigenous ethnic homeland. Very few. We are all products of past conquests and a mixture of people groups. And so whenever blood is spilled to conquer a new land, that people group is going to make a claim that it now belongs to them. And if that group later defends their land from attack, then their claim gets reinforced. That is just the history of mankind. And in terms of the land of Israel, it has changed hands so many times. There are so many claims on it. Jerusalem is one of, if not the most conquered places on the planet. And each group over the centuries who has conquered it has claimed Judea and Samaria as their own. The Jews back in the day, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Arabs, the Mamluks, and the Turks. But at the end of the day, the last group to take possession of a piece of land and then defend it, it can rightfully, rightfully be called theirs. And we say that here in America, don't we? I own a piece of land today, but hundreds of years ago, other people lived where I live and they claimed it as their own. Does that mean that their descendants have the right now to attack my family and my home and take it back? No, because once upon a time, they were conquered and driven out. Now, I'm not making a moral judgment there. I'm not saying that was, that was right or wrong. It's just a brute fact of history. Wars have consequences when it comes to determining ownership of land. And to try to disentangle the history of warfare in the world and return every piece of land to every original claimant is a fool's errand. It cannot be done. So every time you hear a Muslim or an Arab say, it's our land, ask them, well, why is your claim more valid than any other? 
And when they point to 1948, ask them this question. Well, what about the Turks? They were the last kingdom to possess the land prior to the European powers coming in and carving up the region. Why don't the Turks have an equal claim to yours? And if they answer, the obvious question is they lost in World War I. Well, yes, that's correct. Again, wars have consequences. The Ottomans lost Judea and Samaria and Galilee as a result of aligning themselves with Germany in World War I. They lost. Now, were Arabs living in the land at that time under the Ottomans? Yes. So they have a claim. But were there also Jewish settlements at that time? Yes. Some half a million people were living in, Jewish people were living in the land at the time uh, of 1948. So there's always been an Arab presence and a Jewish presence in the land. So whose claim is more important? Well, ultimately, this dispute was settled by war, as is common to mankind in human history. Regardless, listen, regardless of what you think of the UN's decision to create the state of Israel in 1948, and by the way, this is, this is an issue for another day, but the UN also tried to create a Palestinian homeland, and that was rejected. Regardless of what you think of the UN's decision to do that post-World War II, listen, wars were fought to settle the issue of ownership. Brutal wars were fought over this land in the 20th century, and Israel was not the aggressor. 1948, 1967, 1973, in each case, Arab armies were defeated by Israeli armies. So the Jews possessed the land and they defended their claim. So just to recap, Jews have the much older indigenous claim to the land, number one. Number two, Jews have lived in the land all that time. There's been a Jewish presence there for thousands of years, sometimes as a majority, other times as a minority, but always there. And number three, Jews have won multiple wars defending their land. To say, with all of that information, to say that they are occupiers or colonizers is absolute historical ignorance. Now, let me close with one last thought because I know we're running along. Because I feel like the whole bizarre notion of equating Israel with Western white supremacy, it really does need to be addressed. Listen to me. Israel is everything that a young Western progressive should love and celebrate. It's a diverse country. It's a liberal-minded country. It's a very tolerant country. In fact, if you walk the streets of Tel Aviv today, you might look around and think that you're walking through the streets of West Los Angeles. And what you'll see is every color of the rainbow in terms of ethnicity. Listen, the vast majority of Israelis are what we call Mizrahim. They are not, I repeat, not of European descent. They have family roots either in Judea and Samaria or roots in other Middle Eastern countries, places like Morocco or Algeria or Tunisia or Yemen and more. So these Mizrahim are, listen, they're indigenous Middle Eastern Jews, not European. And then you have Sephardic Jews that come from the Iberian Peninsula. And then, yes, just under 30% of Israelis are what we call Ashkenazi, meaning their families were at times scattered into European countries before coming back to the land. But then you also have a large population, hundreds of thousands of black-skinned African Jews, mainly from places like Ethiopia and Nigeria. And then, of course, scattered in, in the midst of all the, the Jews are, 
large numbers of other people groups, Arabs, lots of Arabs, plus Egyptians and Armenians and Syrians and Druze and more. It's incredibly diverse and beautiful. Check out any IDF YouTube account and you will see every shade of white, brown, and black among the soldiers. And they love each other in spite of their ethnic differences because their national pride binds them together. So why do progressives in the West hate Israel so much? Especially when you contrast that with what's in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, where there is no diversity whatsoever, where it's uniformly Arab Muslim, where religious freedom is strictly limited and where Islamic law is the norm, where women don't have rights, where the death penalty is imposed upon gay men and women. And yet the political left across the world insists on supporting that regressive theocratic culture over and against the liberal democracy of Israel. Somebody make it make sense. Okay, I got to wrap it up. I Listen, I hope some of this historical information, cultural data is helpful. Uh, I appreciate you hanging with me all the way to the end and listening all the way through. Listen, uh, Christmas is next week. Have a really, have a Merry Christmas. And, and yes, Unshakable will be back in the new year, 2024. Until then, God bless you guys. Love each other well. We'll talk to you soon.